Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast, where we address topics relevant to today's consumers and farmers. I'm Preston Schrader. And I'm Jason Carr. Preston and I are technology development reps, or TDRs, for Bear Crop Science. As TDRs, our primary mission is to help solve agronomic challenges that farmers face and to understand how to best utilize the bear suite of products, including traits, genetics, crop protection, as well as digital tools, to create solutions that are tailored to each grower's unique farm. We have a couple goals with this podcast, the first being to help farmers across the country to address challenges that they face throughout the growing season while introducing them to game-changing technology that has the potential to radically benefit their farming practices. We also want to provide the consumers of ag commodities who are not necessarily involved in agriculture with information about the practices farmers engage in and the reasons behind them to hopefully provide a greater level of understanding and comfort with how their food is produced. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some of the technologies that are available to farmers in the realm of precision agriculture. To help us explore this topic, we're going to be chatting with Brad Stoller, who is in supply chain management at Precision Planting. Hi, Brad. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. To start off, could you tell us about your background, uh, what you've done in the past, what your current role is with Precision? Yeah. So I'm Brad Stoller. Um, I work at Precision Planting in Tremont, Illinois. Uh, current position is supply chain management. Um, I also deal with project management, fair amount of interaction also with our, our corporate, AGCO. So I guess a little bit about my background. Um, so I grew up between Peoria and Bloomington, uh, out in the country, spent a lot of time growing up walking beans, uh, a lot of time working in small farms, uh, cattle farms, hog farms, mowing a lot, baling hay, all those things that you do as a kid out in the country. Um, Actually, Jason, you and I grew up Close to each other um, for, for years. So, yeah, uh, I was going to make a full disclosure, but I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It, was, it really was a great all-American childhood. Other than that part. Uh, other than that part, yes. That, that's right. Um, but we, we had a great childhood. I, I would say you know, it, was, it was focused a lot on faith, family, friends, community, working together, working hard, and um, so just a lot of a lot of great memories. Um, Absolutely. I, I think when I look at it, I, I want our kids to experience the same thing that we actually had. It was, it, it, it really was good. So, nice. Great. Cool, cool. Could you tell us about your education history and then maybe what your current role is with yeah. Precision? Yeah. So, so after school, um, I went to ICC, actually studied business uh, administration, economics. Um, from there, I actually started working in automotive. So tier two supplier to Mitsubishi down in Bloomington, Illinois. And um, I spent most of my time there actually in accounts management. So on the sales side and then also in supply chain roles. So managing our suppliers around the world. From that point, um, I actually had a couple of friends that worked at a small company in Tremont, Illinois called Precision Planting in the middle of a cornfield. And um, the company really was experiencing a lot of growth at the time. And it it was just interesting. I was more watching from a distance. And then they approached me, I think it was several years after I was into my career, 
about possibly coming over. And I think it was a year or so later, I had met Greg Souter, the founder of Precision Planting. And at some point, he convinced me to come over, saying that, hey, we're having a lot of fun over here. I, I went over to Precision Planting, more in a supply chain role. I would also say at that point in time in our history, it was, I mean, we were a really small company. I mean, essentially a startup. And, um, and so joined the team and I did have a brief stint in there. There was about two years where I left and went to work for a trucking company, uh, that my dad was part owner of. So I was in a sales role there and then, um, oh, I don't know. It's probably been 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, Greg Souter called me back up, said, Hey, we're having a lot of fun. I need you to come back again. I came back and I guess the rest is history really from there. So go into a little bit more. You mentioned precision planning being a small startup and it had very humble beginnings. Can you tell us a little bit about the evolution of the company through the years? So um, Greg Souter was a uh, hog farmer, also a grain farmer in Tremont and uh, had a young family. Um, he was starting to do some studies with Farm Journal and Ken Ferry on, I think a lot of it was focused on like singulation and spacing studies and some of that. And he had a couple articles, I believe, published in Farm Journal. And I think how the story goes, I, I'm not a historian necessarily on this, but I think how the story goes, is that there was an inventor in Kentucky, his name is Eugene Keaton, he has since passed away, but he came up with, um, he was an inventor, he came up with this this um, device called the Keaton Seed Firmer. Actually, I guess it wasn't called that at the time, but a, a firmer and essentially what it was, a very simple product. And it was, it was really just a piece of aircraft cable that was cut down to size and a little piece of metal that was pressed onto it and essentially what this did he said this new device what i want it to do is to ride along in the seed furrow or in the seed trench and press the seed to the bottom of the furrow and uh he said i am looking for that good seed to soil contact and didn't know greg but again i think read some of these articles and so he came up pulled these things out of his trunk they strapped them onto greg's planter went out, planted some plots. Greg was seeing some really good yield advantages from it. I think five, six bushels per acre. Wow. And I think how the story goes is he asked Eugene, he said, hey, could I market this to the U.S.? Could I build and sell this? And so they worked out a royalty agreement and really the rest is history from there. It was, it was one of those perfect first products that really launched precision planting where if you look at it it's a it's a very simple device it's cheap to manufacture it's yeah, we sell it for a really reasonable price six bushel advantage and if you look at what's the price of corn 354 bucks i mean you're talking 20 to 25 bucks an acre that you can actually make with this device and really from there um Greg just kept on investing in in the right people in building the business. So he hired his nephew, who was an engineer at Caterpillar, um, really helped build the business into what it is today. And it, with a strong focus on 
innovative products and engineering, but then also a strong focus on on marketing um, and and the selling of the products, I guess, as well. So it really continued to expand after that. There's been some corporate changes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... um, yeah, we we actually have gone through a number of changes, I guess, through the years. When we started out, obviously, it was a really small company. In fact, when I started, I believe it was back in two thousand and three, there were there were twelve of us, um, maybe all together. And I think that probably even includes the farm team, which, again, we all wore a lot of different hats. If if we needed to go unload a truck, we'd jump on a forklift and unload a truck. If we needed to help sweep the floor and get ready for a sales meeting, we, we, would, we would jump in and do that. So going from a small, essentially a startup, where we didn't have a whole lot of systems and processes and all these other things in place, it was just, it was a lot of us really saying, okay, what's what's the right thing to do? What are the right next steps in, in building this out? And I would also say a, a really strong focus on, on the customer and who the customer was and trying to understand their needs. It was, um, I believe it was in 2010 or maybe 11, Monsanto actually approached us. And they were they had a new strategy that they were working on. In fact, you guys might remember this. I think it was in 2008 or 2009, Monsanto had set out a goal that said, we want to double crop production by 2030. And and part of that strategy was saying, okay, what are the different things that affect yield? Obviously, uh, obviously genetics and traits are one aspect of that. But what are some of the other areas that affect yield? Absolutely. And, and equipment and tillage, I mean, you go through it. There are many, many aspects that, that go into high yield and, and doubling, essentially doubling yield. And so the strategy, I believe it, it, was, it was called uh, IFS or Integrated Farming Systems or Solutions. I don't remember at this point, I guess, which one it was called. <laughs> there were a lot of acronyms. <laughs> there, there were a lot of acronyms, and I, I honestly can't remember at this point uh, exactly what it was. But basically, at that, at that point in time, they were saying, this is another area. You guys, we, we were thought leaders and with products, I guess, coming up with a lot of new solutions and it seemed like it was a, a really good fit so they they bought us it would have been in 2012 i believe so shortly after that i believe it was in 2013 or 14 uh, they bought the climate corporation which uh, was in california also a larger startup at that point in time but really focused on weather modeling, nitrogen modeling, a lot of the, the modeling, the inputs that you are putting in. And so we became part of the Climate Corporation in, I want to say it was 2013. Hmm. Um, so as part of that strategy, I think Monsanto's strategy continued to develop around this, saying we want to focus more on data and agronomic insights. So what are what are the insights that we can supply to the sure. farmer and help them improve their operation? So maybe as part of that, 
there was less of a focus on the mechanical products, many of the mechanical products. And I would throw into there even our 2020 seed sense. It's mechanical products and control systems, which is a big part of what we do Monsanto's never really been an equipment company. They're not an equipment, exactly. And so it was not core to their strategy. And that's, I think that's really, over the years, we clarified what that strategy was. And our core business was probably not the core to what that strategy was. So I guess as part of that, uh, we rolled off, we, we had something called FieldView at the time, which is still the product today, um, Climate FieldView. And so we, we spun that off into as part of the Climate Corporation. And so um, Monsanto, uh, John Deere made an offer to buy us, I believe it was in 2015, um, an offer to buy precision planting or the mechanical aspects of the business. And um, so for next, I don't remember what it was, probably next year and a half, we, we worked through the uh, Department of Justice and the, there, there's a long story there, I guess, <laughs> that everything that, we, everything that we went through for a year and a, a half. A story for another day. Yeah, maybe. a story maybe for another day, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but after, after a year and a half of working through the, the whole legal system, um, Monsanto decided to terminate that agreement. And so it was several months later, uh, Agco Corporation put in an offer on precision planting. And so it would have been in, in 2017 that Agco purchased precision planting. So we've been, we've been part of that family ever since. And, you know, it, I guess I look back, it, it really is, I would say, the hand of God just through all of this. We can we can see all the changes that we've gone through, but this really does feel like home to us. It, it feels like the right place. They are in equipment. They have strongly embraced our business, our, I would even say our culture that we have at Precision Planting, which I would say is pretty unique compared to a lot of places. Um, they have embraced our I guess our really strong culture on focusing on the customer and what the customer's needs are. So it's yeah, it has been it's been a long story, but the the part one advantage I think that we have had as well is our core team has really remained intact. So our our management team, but then also our engineers, a lot of our our sales folks um, has remained intact. And that has been huge. I would say all the way through, even uh, there were some rocky patches, but all the way through, we were able to keep that strong focus on the customer and bringing out products that really solved real solutions in the field. So you mentioned um, the culture at Precision, Precision Planting. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Culture is something that we talk about a lot at Precision. I, I really think that it is something that we say is a differentiator. And I already mentioned this, our, our strong focus on the customer. One, one, there, there's maybe some axioms or almost some truisms, or I don't, I don't know the right word for it, but some things that we say often that really defines who we are. Um, one of those would be um, 
to know the customer better than the customer knows themselves. And I guess what that means to us is that many of our employees, many of our engineers, many of our salespeople actually have grown up on family farms and a lot of them still farm today. And so we aren't, we aren't a hammer looking for a nail. We are trying to solve real solutions that for, for real farmers and the, the real problems that you feel as, as a farmer. And so that's, that's been, I think that's been, that part has been key. Um, you know, one of our dealers actually has said, and we actually quote this often, he says, he, he said something to the effect of, you guys scratch an itch for the farmer like no one else. And, and we, we think of that. I mean, we actually say that often where it's like if you have bad itch in the back of your back, I mean, we... <laughs> We can fix that for He'll you. Send it's, it's, out. Yeah, we'll send someone out. It's it's annoying, and we but we can fix that for you. And and there's some other things that we say. We focus on hard problems. I mean, they're they're ones that are hard getting a solution to. And you get a room full of engineers together. It's actually a lot of fun focusing on the problem, saying, okay, what is the root cause, and what is the solution to this. You might be the first person I've ever heard say it's fun to be in a room full of engineers. Oh, it's annoying too, but it, it also is fun. Yeah, I mean, no, we, we have a good time. We, we have a good time. But um, we, we also, there's some other sayings that we, we have. We say things like data is worth a thousand opinions. We don't spend a whole lot of time sitting in conference rooms talking about theories. We, we go and collect data we try to understand what the data is saying, and we try to draw the correlations and truly fix the root cause of the problem. And so it's, it's drilling down, whether it's our, our sales data that we're pulling together, whether it's engineering data, whatever it is, we really try to drill down into that. Um, on the engineering side, I would say when you get into the engineering culture, one thing that we say, we, we try to be fast to fail where, again, we don't spend a whole lot of time just sitting at our desks. We, we try to de- design a product, go out to the field and test it. By 9 o'clock in the morning, you break it. You come back into the shop. By 10 o'clock, you're back out again. And just that iterative process of getting it done. It's how fast can we come up with a better solution and recover from the issue that we just experienced. And I think that is something that is also core to who we are and what we try to do. I also said we, we try not to waste people's time in meetings. We, we think people's time and really their creativity are the core of our success. So we don't try not to waste that. We try to make sure that we're focused on, on the right things. Perfect. So... Our listeners are farmers. They've you know, seen the changes that precision agriculture has brought in the last 10, 20 years. And precision planting has obviously been a big part of that. When I say precision agriculture, how do you characterize that? How do you define or what does precision agriculture mean to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about the genesis of what precision agriculture actually is. But I mean, from, from a high level, I think you could go back to really in the mid 1990s i believe is when like uh, 
uh, NASA, I believe it was, in, in combination with John Deere, came. They, they opened up the whole GPS system, right. which, which really at, at that point in time was novel. And I, I don't remember exactly what the products were, but a lot of it was with yield monitoring, where you could, for the first time, see spatially exactly what your yield was in certain parts of the field. And so that was, that was really maybe the starting point yep. is when, when there was measurement and you could see exactly where it was enabled by, by GPS and uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And uh, again, I don't remember exactly what the dates were or what the sequence was. And then it would probably be in the mid-2000s when GPS signal was really getting to the point, and corrected signal, I should say, was getting to a point where you could start doing implement control. So you had the guidance systems where the tractor was essentially driving themselves and the accuracy then with, with RTK, you were getting down to a point where it was even, say down to an inch or a few inch uh, accuracy. And so you could get into things like variable rate seeding or variable rate fertilizer where you were truly controlling the inputs that you were putting on specific areas of the field or controlling the implement in itself. So that that would be what I would say is kind of the genesis. And so the part that I, I find maybe a little interesting, call it maybe a little bit of luck, but the name precision planting really was before precision agriculture was the thing, if you think about it. Because precision planting was started in 1994. It would have been on the early side of that. And so precision agriculture was nowhere close to what it was today. It may be a little of a chicken and egg situation with the naming because precision planting was such a big player in that space led to the naming. Exactly. 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 And so a little bit of luck on that side. It was, we were not truly in the technology space when we started. It was very mechanical products. I mean, I go back to the Keaton seed firmer in the finger pickup unit and the perfections that we made there. We were focused on precise planting of seed, but there was not the precision agriculture, the technology that we think of today. So kind of the, maybe the path that we took is slightly different than, than what many others took. So I guess if I look at the story specific for precision planting in the precision egg space, it really was almost by accident that we got into the technology side. So I guess the story on that, um, one of our engineers um, was trying to diagnose a mechanical problem. We were trying to diagnose, we had just launched a product called ESET, which was a metering system that went onto the planters trying to get very accurate seed spacing. And there was an issue on one of Greg's planters that he was trying to diagnose. And he wrote a really simple program on his laptop, stole the signal off of the, off the harness that was coming up to the monitor in the cab so that he could see, okay, exactly what is the spacing and what is the singulation? Singulation is skips and doubles uh, from the metering system. And he separated out those two so that we could see what was going on. And on that specific planter, the issue was actually misalignment of some hex shafts on there where the wings were not driving consistent with the center. So you'd get almost like a lope in the seating. So 
powerful tool. I don't think he didn't realize how powerful this very simple software program was that he wrote on his laptop. Well, he gets ready to get out of the cab and Greg's like, I want you to leave that here. I, I, I want to keep on watching the laptop. I don't want to look at my existing planter monitor, which all it's showing me is population, which does not show the true picture of what is going on. And so from there, it was, it was the next year, I think, when we developed what is known today as the 2020 Seed Sense, which is planter monitor and um, really dives down into the, a lot of those exact same details that we were looking at. And also there were additional measurements that we ended up adding to it where it's looking at things like the down pressure on the row units and it's a lot of data there um, today. But it really started with that with that simple laptop. And so I guess um, another area my mind goes to is from that, a lot of new measurements. We're, we're looking at a lot of new measurements on the 2020. It's probably very similar to many other things. When you measure something, then you can start analyzing the data. Then you start to figure out how do we, how do we improve this situation and how do we control it all the way through. So it's kind of the progression that you go through. So we started measuring these things like downforce and we're like, okay, this is a big problem. We don't know how to set downforce on a planter. What do we do so that you have accurate downforce? And we came out with some different control systems. Our delta force, which is row by row control all the way through. And that really has been a progression that we have followed on many of our products is not only do we measure it, we process it and then we also control it. It's kind of the path that, that we have taken. Yeah. So the, the three pieces that, that we really focus on for a grower that we feel are the important things to look at. I mean, first of all, the main, the main goal with the products that we come out with, we try to say, how do we add more bushels to the hopper? I mean, how, how do you add more bushels to the bottom bed? line? That's, that's the bottom line. It, it really is. Um, the the other area of focus i would say is like we were talking about with the environment how do we how do we maximize the right product on the right acre so being good stewards or controlling the inputs that we actually put on making sure we are being efficient with the inputs and i would say the last piece that we focus on we have a few products that maybe fall into this category but would be almost efficiency on your operation. How do you how do you make sure that you're being productive and efficient? And an example would be we have a product called Speed Tube, which is it allows you to plant faster with the existing equipment that you have while still maintaining a high high level of accuracy. And so those are kind of the three buckets that we put our products into. Is is again most important one? How do you add more bushels? The second one? How do you how do you maximize the use of your inputs in the third one? Um, how do you become more efficient on your operation? Great. So there's obvious benefits to the, to the growers. I mean, farmers quickly adopted this technology. They could see yield increase. It's measurable. Um, and, but there's some other aspects of precision agriculture, like uh, being able to shut off rows on a sprayer not so as not to overlap. Same thing with a planter, any other piece of equipment. So can you talk just a little bit about, I saw some graphs recently that showed basically inputs have stayed pretty much constant in agriculture as yields have increased. 
So can you talk a little bit about some of the benefits to the environment from an yeah. environmental standpoint that maybe a consumer might be interested in hearing about? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's been, that has been a big part of the, the evolution of precision agriculture in general and the things that we do where it's, it is controlling the amount of inputs that we are putting on the field where we always say you want the, you want the right amount of inputs on the right acre so that you're, you're not wasting it. And, you know, we all hear in the news on the things on the algae blooms and all these, all these things going on. And, and this is a big focus that we actually have saying, let's, let's make sure that we are being good stewards of the resources that we're putting on, putting on the right amount of fertilizer on the right acre. So it doesn't all just get washed into the river. And um, it's, it's the same thing, any input that you're looking at, the, the chemicals that, that you're spraying on, where if we've already gone through that area, we are clutching off that part of, of the sprayer so that we aren't, we aren't over applying to different areas. And, and it, even simple things like, like seeds saying, okay, on my productive ground, I'm at a variable rate. I'm going to put a higher population of 40, 42,000 plants per acre. And on my least productive ground, I'm going to drop that down to 30, 28,000 plants per acre. So it's making sure that we're managing every area of the field effectively and efficiently. And there's, there's huge gains to the environment. So the final piece, Brad, we have... Um a lot of listeners that are not necessarily involved in agriculture. So, you know, they obviously care about the environment, but are there any other benefits to consumers when we talk about this technology? Yeah, I, I mean, this is something that many people don't think of, but the cost of food and fuel is obviously, um, obviously a big part of this. And as, as farmers are more efficient on their operations, um, the, the costs have not gone up. Actually, if you look at the cost of food and fuel compared to the rest of the economy, prices have stayed really low, and that's been a benefit to the economy as a whole. And if you look across the world, the percentage of income that Americans spend on food is minuscule that's compared to other parts of absolutely, the world. Absolutely, absolutely. It really is, and it's a lot of these technologies that have enabled that. So, Brad, the last question, and we can go into depth on this, but what's some upcoming technology that gets you excited about the future of ag? Again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the, the things that we get excited about. They have to have real value. They have to add, like we already said, they have to add bushels into the farmer's bin. They have to make them more effective, more efficient. You know, we when I look at there, there's some that I would say are almost like precision planting specific. I'm, I'm excited and about some of the new things that we've rolled out. An example would be we have a product called Smart Firmer that's looking at, it's looking real time at what the organic matter is in the soil. It's looking real time at the temperatures in the soil. It's looking real time at the moisture in the soil. These are brand new metrics that no one before has looked at, especially on a real-time basis. As you're planting, you can see this. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting piece of technology, and it plays a little bit into kind of conversations that we sometimes have with growers, where we recommend that they use our FieldView platform to go out and do research on their own farm. Absolutely. And not just take our word for it. And, and the smart firmer, that type of technology allows them to get a better understanding of the conditions 
on their own farm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. They, they can see exactly what's going on. Just some of the, some of the trends that have been happening for years, but this is the first time that we're shining a flashlight on some of those areas because of a product like that. We are, we're also able to do closed loop control, say on variable rate, a farmer, we, we have several farmers. They're like, I've never done variable rate. I'd like to sometime. And we're like, why don't you push the enable button? You can start doing it today based on the information that you're getting, where you say in my more productive soils, I want to bump my population by four or 5,000 plants per acre. And there, there's also some, some other products that we've came out with where we're doing control on closing systems, closed loop control, where we are measuring the amount of downforce on the closing system. So real time, we can adjust how much pressure is on that closing system so that we can make sure that the seed environment is exactly what it should be to maximize the yield for that specific plant. So those type of technologies we get very excited about. I think there's another piece of this question, which is when you look at the industry as a whole, where do we think it's going to go? And I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the best one at like theorizing exactly where things are going to go, but it, it is interesting to me, you guys probably do this too, you walk through Farm Progress Show or Louisville Farm Show, and you, you can get an understanding of kind of where some of the trends are going. I would, I would say five, six years ago, you would walk the show and it seemed like everyone and their brother had a drone in their booth. And, and imagery was, was the, that was the hot topic is, is imagery. But I think it goes back to the things that we've been talking about where how does it affect the farmer and how does it affect the decisions that they make day to day? They know an actionable decision to make based on the data that they're collecting. And there have been a few companies that have done really good. Climate's done really good with some of the imagery, and it actually gives you real information to make real decisions that improves your yield. And so things like that are important. There's other technologies that you know we're starting to see a lot of as you walk booths today. Um, autonomy is, is a huge topic in the industry. As we walk around, there's, again, everyone is getting into it. And... So how far are we away from driverless tractors? And this is, this is an interesting part. We always, the, the, what we always say is, you know, there, there's fact and then there's science fiction. And, and it's, it is good as, as thought leaders, it's good actually seeing some of, these, some of these things happen. Will we see it in our lifetime? I absolutely believe that we will. But I think it goes back to at what price point and, and why. Because there are many things, many decisions, and you guys would know this too, when you're sitting in when you're sitting in the cab of a combine or when you're sitting in the cab of a tractor as you're planting, there's many things that you're hearing and seeing that machines just can't hear or see. You're there there's a lot of data coming at you. Exactly. And so what for example, what auto steer has done for us, it, it has taken our focus off of making sure that we're driving the straightest line in the neighborhood. We don't spend time on that anymore. We spend time 
looking at the data that is coming into us and making decisions, good decisions based on that data that's coming into us. And so I feel that is the part that is important when we look at autonomy. It's like, how does it make my life better? How does it add more bushels? How does it actually make me more efficient? There's, there's certain aspects or certain passes in the field that I think lend themselves very well to it. Tillage might be an example. That's the one that you put your 75-year-old grandpa in the tractor seat because you don't want to do it, or the high school kid, when he's done with school, you drop him in there. But some of these other passes, there's a lot of intuition and I don't know what to call it, maybe tribal knowledge that goes into how, how you do it. And there's, there's a lot of your senses that are at play as you're working through it. So it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't necessarily be technology for technology's sake. It needs to be, there needs to be real value on it. Farmers, farmers are smart people. They, they understand ROI of a product. And we can all get excited about shiny paint and chrome on pieces of equipment, but that's not what pays the bills. And so it's, it's understanding what the value is that, that you're actually creating. Thanks for your time, Brad. It's been great talking to you today. Yeah. yeah. No, pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed it, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you much. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.